0: I'm Caroline and I'm Sid, and, and we're, we're tapping, tapping in. in. Welcome to our podcast, Teens Tap In,
1: where we tackle and destigmatize various mental health topics with guests relevant to the discussion.
0: Now, to get to know us and your guests better, we're gonna do five fast, quick-fire questions. Starting off, I'm gonna ask Caroline, what is your secret hobby or talent? I am really good at knitting and crocheting. What about you, Sid? Um, I can write backwards with my left hand when I write forwards with my right hand kind of confusing but it works (laughs) okay so if you had to go undercover and create a new life where would you go um definitely out of the united states probably to like greece or italy somewhere it's warm like all the time where would you go um
1: i think i'd go probably to like the south america like live in the jungle i don't know i think that'd be fun that's cool okay number three what is your favorite book um this past summer i read where the crawdads sing and i really really liked that book what about you
0: Um, I don't know. I don't really have a favorite book, but if I had to choose, I'd probably say The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Okay. What is something that you're currently worried about? Um, I'm currently stressing a little bit about our PASC State Conference that's in November. Doing a lot of work for that, and it's making me a little stressed out. What is something that you are currently worried about? Uh, sending in college applications. Very fair. Who's your favorite band or artist okay last one mine is Harry Styles and who is yours definitely Frank Ocean very good
1: now we're going to take a quick break and cut to our generous sponsor St. Clair
0: Health for an ad
2: at St. Clair Health we're always improving building on our commitment to face the challenges of today making an impact on the communities we serve so we can be stronger together St. Clair Health expert care from people who care
0: Hi, welcome to our first episode of Team Stop In. We have our first two guests here, Mr. DiNardo and Mr. Hathi, and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves starting with Mr. Hathi. Uh,
3: my name is uh, Mike Hathi. I've uh, been lucky enough to be on the outreach board for, for a few years now. Uh, I taught at Mount Lebanon High School. This is my 18th year. I grew up in Mount Lebanon. I have two kids in Mount Lebanon. Um, so I'm just very, very, very lucky to be to be so involved in, in, in the community.
4: And I'm Pete DiNardo. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter, but not on the board of outreach. Uh, I've taught in Mount Lebanon for this is my 25th year, 32 years overall. I've lived in the community for 18 years. Uh, my kids have graduated from the system. Uh, I teach in the social studies department and am involved in a lot of, uh, community activities. And I'm, uh, pumped to be here.
1: Now we're going to go in with our fast five. Um, so tonight I have already answered these, but we're going to let you guys go ahead and start off with, do you have any secret hobbies or talents?
3: Mr. I think I don't have any secret talents. Cause if I'm good at anything, I make sure everyone possible knows it. Um, that being said that th- that's a short list. So not, <laughs> not really,
1: <laughs> um,
4: only the ability to prank, uh, mm-hmm my high school students.
0: Okay. There, yeah. I'll do number two. If you had to go undercover and create a new life, where would you go and why? Uh,
3: Montana, just because I think uh, me living in the middle of the woods wouldn't really set off any alarms for anyone.
4: Very fair. You've got a good point there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't question you being in the middle of the woods. Uh, At all, in a lone cabin, (laughs) barren. Sort of what I'm envisioning. Right, right. Um, I think I would hide in New York City. Okay, it's an easy
1: place to hide. Right. Okay, Uh, what is your favorite book?
4: I'll take this one first, let you think. Uh, It's a small book from the early 70s, Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard Bach. It is... uh, A book that will take out loud an hour to read, and I've read it to audiences um, dozens of times.
3: I think the the book, I mean, there's a bunch of books I love. The book I've read the most is Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Just opens your eyes uh, to seeing things in a very different way. Okay, number
0: four. What is something you are currently worried about?
3: The price of higher education.
0: That's a good one. So are we <laughs> <your> seniors here? <laughs> uh, the survival of our democracy. Okay. <laughs> the last one? Uh, okay, number five.
3: Who is your favorite band
4: or uh, m-
1: musician? Hmm.
4: Just like my kids, I don't pick favorites. Uh huh. <laughs> At your
3: age, it was the Clash. Okay. Uh, so I'll yes, just leave it there.
1: I know who that is. Me <laughs> neither.
0: I'm just going to pretend like I did.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, if we're going to say that, in high school it would have been Nine Inch Nails.
0: Oh, two very exciting names. <sighs> yes. <laughs> and now our first annual sponsor, St. Clair Health, is going to tap in.
2: At St. Clair Health, we're always improving, building on our commitment to face the challenges of today making an impact on the communities we serve so we can be stronger together by creating reliable resources that recognize all of our neighbors with access to the highest quality health care, advanced care close to home, and a shared humanity that delivers on our joint vision to create a healthier community for all. St. Clair Health, expert care from people who care.
1: Okay, so on our first episode of teaching and learning through COVID-19, we have uh, Sid and I, two high schoolers, and Mr. Happy and Mr. Renardo two high school teachers, so uh, four very experienced people on the on the topic. So, to kind of get our discussion going, we're going to ask a very broad question of our two guests. What was the hardest part of having to teach through a screen?
3: Um, I think before covid i thought i knew how important nonverbal communication was and i had greatly underestimated just you know how much information is conveyed from one person to another by the way they're looking where they're looking um little size and things like that that i didn't even realize i would pick up on in a classroom um and that really would direct me and say well we need to take more time with this topic we're ready to move on from this topic um having to just decide most of the time on my own when when it was the appropriate time to sort of move forward in a lesson was really difficult.
4: I'd concur, the ability to read a body language in the classroom helps a lot. Um, But not only from the student up, but my own energy and body language. And I usually am a mobile teacher, but uh, that was very difficult and you can use physical proximity to get a kid's attention versus, uh, 25 squares on your, uh, laptop screen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think from the other side of that, I mean, it's definitely hard to not be able to engage, you know, have side conversations, whether it's with the teacher or with another other students that are, you know, mostly relevant. Um, and when you're not having that kind of face to face interaction, it definitely makes it, it's not as engaging when you're just listening to, a lecture. I mean, no fault of the teacher. If no one's engaging, them, it kind
0: of loses that um, that importance. Even just like the group work aspect of it. I mean, like getting like glances. Who are you going to work with? I mean, you'd always. I always glance yeah. across the room. I'm going to work with this person and this person before the teacher even says, "Pick your groups," or "I'm assigning groups," or anything like that. I mean, anything like that was just like taken away, and it's really hard to deal with that when you can't get those little glances or you look around on zoom and you see faces, but the faces aren't actually seeing you, you know yeah. what I mean? Breakout rooms were brutal. It's you really can't... hard. Yeah. When well, yeah. you can see people, but you know that they're not looking at you or they're not even looking. It's yeah. When you get put in a room with like two other black
1: squares, and, like no one's even awake. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely, it definitely tested my peer to peer patience. Yeah.
3: I think that I think that's a great point. I think there's so much, Respect and rapport that's built in a classroom just from little side conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, we always talk about it in, in when we're working in lab. Like scientists, don't just sit there and do science; they do science and then they talk about their family, and they talk about their dog, and they talk about what, what, where they like to eat. And the the inability of students to work in that sort of environment, I think, really set back how quickly classes would gel. Mm-hmm. As a, I mean, in the in the classroom, you know, it's within a few weeks people know each other people know what to expect um, i think it took much much longer last year just because you were i mean you're looking at a bunch of screens even if you're even if you're not looking at a black screen you're you, you know you're looking at screens you, there's not that that physical proximity and i think that really took away from it
0: do you think you see that in like younger grades that they're just not meshing as well or not like conforming not not necessarily conforming but just not getting the social aspect and not like the people to people skills that they
3: might need to be successful. I actually found this year, my sophomores were mo- were the most willing to engage in discussion the earliest. Because I think they were, and I was worried going in, I was like, they were either going to be very complacent with e- the way everything, you know, they were going to be mad that they weren't in their pajamas all day, or they were just going to be starved for interaction. And I found that it was absolutely um, they wanted to just talk to somebody about school and, you know, be with other people um, and have those meaningful conversations. So I, I was very worried about that, but I did not find that to be the case this year. Good. Okay, next question we
0: have. How did you make an effort to connect with students even when they were not there in person?
4: I think that it's got to be done creatively. And one of the ways certainly is one-on-one Zoom conversations. I mean, it's still virtual, but um, voluntary, because if you mandate it, it's it's a task and a chore, but offering it and then kids pick that up. Um, I mean, we had a number of them that uh, in that first iteration, when we went to school at home for the two or so months afterwards, there were two groups of kids, uh, Lucas and Kara, that uh, would stop by my uh, homeroom every day and they would be late for first period, they'd leave homeroom. So we had a couple of times where we stopped during that period, Uh, half a dozen kids had lunch in my homeroom, we had the lunch bunch and we just scheduled twice during that time period to have lunch, um, even though we're not connected to each other. Um, But I think the best way in that time period, the the best way I think that connecting with them, uh, I had a senior homeroom. And it was a disaster for them because they um, had nothing, everything that would be planned as those benchmark moments were lost. And I decided that we'd have one thing that wasn't going to be delayed, and that was going to be the senior reception. So I made an arrangement with Grahams. They, you know, this is early on, so you're worried about everybody was still worried about everything and they put three cookies in paper bags and i had those bags i you know i'm, I'm like a hazmat suit picking them up <laughs> putting them in giant eagle bags and to my homeroom and my gov class there was about 30 families that wanted to get involved i hung them on their front door and that night we had an hour long zoom uh senior reception in which we um did something on the night in, in evening it should have happened and in its closest to normalcy as we could in that period
0: yeah. And uh, I don't know, that word gets thrown around so much, of normalcy. Like, how normal could it have been? And I think striving to make it as normal as possible was so important. Yeah, I had a couple teachers that would do,
1: like, even, like, because it was, I mean, th- March through the end of, I guess, what would have been the 1920 school year. 2020.
0: Um, 20. Oh, 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 the, I understand <laughs> the what <you> mean. <laughs> <laughs> 2019, 2020
1: school year. Um, like, we didn't have any. Any, you know, classes really that was the most um, backwards couple months of my life, really. But you know, teachers that did make, take those extra steps and did make an effort to reach out and meet and set up Google Meets, you know, and no one even knew what Google Meet was, that stuff was definitely not lost on the people that participated in it. Participated in it. I mean, you know, I was stuck with my family for 12, months, twenty-four hours a day, and I just craved connection with anyone so I mean that stuff really did make a big
0: difference extra efforts were like definitely appreciated like when teachers would go out of their way to even just stay on the zoom like stay on the zoom the extra seven minutes between classes so you could ask them a question or just talk to them like you would in the hallway when your next class is right next door that was like meaningful it was very meaningful when they would just stay on instead of turning their camera off and leaving and walking away and I know it was really hard for them sometimes because they also needed a break because it's hard to stare and sit on your screen for seven hours at a time eight hours at a time but when the kids are doing the same thing it's really meaningful when they would stay on and have like a real discussion after they've gone through their entire lecture. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: Mike I know you have great relationships with kids how did you continue it?
3: Uh, Well, So I think it's funny breakout rooms I think are a sort of double-edged sword, where I found them incredibly helpful, mostly just because people aren't going to talk in a Zoom meeting in front of 25 people. But lots of people are willing to talk in front of three or four people. So I did them, you know, I mean, it, it, what I pitched was like, you know, you're going to, this is going to be more like a lab, you're going to be able to collaborate, um, which was helpful. But I think just, I would go into Zooms and, you know, no one's talking. I'm like, just tell each other what you have for breakfast just talk about what tricks, you know, I mean, stuff that has nothing to do with science. And, and especially I think in that, whenever we were remote in the middle of the winter, when it was, I mean, you, it was dark outside all day. I think that was just talk to people about anything. Yeah. I think it was really, you know, important. Um, But that, that was the, the biggest thing is I would just go into, to breakout rooms and just chat, yeah. just talk to people yeah. about whatever it was that they were willing to talk. about. Yeah.
4: And said so your point, I think, that was true. A lot of people would stay, uh, or arrive early. Yeah. And that was great to be able to just have the conversation with, you know, um, folks that well, they're your age. And, and uh, and it was nice to have the little bit of conversation. What I found too was that when you, you mentioned Caroline, those black screens, so there were kids Uh, I had the most failures ever in my career during the semester. I only taught one semester, but it was rich. And what you found was um, kids that uh, were outreach would be interested in kids that were really swirling down and the difficulty in keeping track of all those kids, but even reaching out because they, they often were the kids that entered class, but then work somewhere else in their house. Mm. But to reach out with emails, I'm sure you sent hundreds of emails to kids and parents. Um, You had kids who who really even appreciated that. They're like, you know, it's not you, it's me. And those were rich conversations to have just for 40 minutes and parents appreciated that even if their kids still didn't perform academically. Um, But those are some pretty cool things that uh, kids I'd never met because I was teaching from my basement, unlike Mike, um, that, uh, you know, you just wish that there could have been a different context to meet this person.
1: Okay, so our next question is kind of playing off of what we just talked about, you know, on our screen. So you always hear everyone saying, you know, in situations like this, you kind of have to choose your battles. So are there any battles that you felt like you had to give up on, like, like the students turning their cameras on, like getting students to participate in discussion, even kids like getting their work done. I mean, what? At what point did you have to value your own, you know, kind of sanity above being a stickler for the kids that wouldn't participate like they normally would?
3: I think so. As far as cameras being on, I I said from the start, you know, there are times when it will greatly behoove the class for you to have your camera on. I will tell you when that is. I would really appreciate it if your camera's on. The rest of the time, it's not as big a deal. right? And I think just being able to say for this 15 minutes of this day, it's really important. For this 25 minutes of this day, and there were entire days where I was like, you can keep your camera off because we're just going to be going through this. I'm going to be lecturing. Um, it, it's not as big a deal. I think that that's a thing. I think it, the other thing that came up um, as far as participating in discussion, I realized very early, I would never expect everyone I mean in a normal class in a normal year not everyone is comfortable sharing questions and answers in a bio class in front of all their peers Mm -hmm. there are just people that aren't there are people that are going to ask 50 questions a day and answer 50 questions but that's not everyone so I think again I just utilized small group discussions and one-on-one discussions and I might say to a kid hey I haven't heard from you If you, if you're willing to come in for five minutes to just talk about where you are and they're like, well, thank you so much for not making me talk because I mean, even in a classroom, you maybe have, if you're lucky, 50% that are really, really engaged in the discussion as far as participating in the discussion, Mm -hmm. I think you might have everybody engaged. Um, but I didn't want to expect anything participation wise that I wouldn't have expected in a normal classroom.
4: And on that issue, I I was torn because I, fully understand the diversity of uh, we have a a modest amount of economic diversity and certain kids wouldn't have um, the desire to show where they're at or whatever it may be. Certain kids certainly just didn't want to be seen on screen. But I also was reading and, and talked to some of our psych teachers, the importance of even virtually seeing each other. So you're talking about the idea of everybody at a black screen. So I was really weighing those two. And I would cajole. I said, hey, just give me some lo- some loving. And usually that would turn on five, six cameras. Um, but then I also had to understand it was a, a junior who said to me, Mr. Leonardo, you need to stop worrying about it because there are more cameras on in this class than in any other class I'm in. So I tracked it, wanted to see, because parents were saying no cameras are on. I had 40% of cameras on in U.S. history and nearly 80% in gov. Yeah. And so um, when, when certain people said that no cameras are on, that might be the case for certain classes, but 40% is not too bad. And on certain moments, I'd say this is a serious conversation. Can we, as many as we can, turn these on? Um, but it, I didn't release it being anything personal or, you know, anything large, and you just sort of put that away.
0: How I did like follow the pattern in my AP and honors classes. It was cameras were on, and it was cameras. I mean, cameras were on in my AP classes almost a hundred percent of the time. I know in APush it was. I mean, they were on the whole time. Even when he was screen sharing, even when he was lecturing, almost everyone had their camera on. Whereas in my academic class, there were only 15 kids in it. And I think I was one of two people who had their camera on maybe 50% of the time. And it's really hard, I know, for teachers to teach to empty faces. Um, but when you are lecturing and you are sharing a screen and not looking at the faces, that would be easier. And I know Mr. Manette, he would tell us, like you did Mr. Hathi, for those 15 minutes of this day, I need you to have your cameras on because we are going to be having a discussion and it is easier to talk to people rather than talking to screens. But I did notice that trend that in my higher and harder classes, a lot more kids have their cameras on than in my academic classes where maybe it was... difficult to put their cameras on maybe kids weren't as comfortable putting their cameras on or weren't as confident in their answers putting their cameras on but it did
1: follow that trend you know mr nar you said it's not personal but i i almost have to disagree with you as much as there were like the individual cases of a kid you know that didn't even have a camera i think it really made a difference in who my teacher was whether i was going to turn my camera on or not like if the teacher was actively engaging me i'd turn my camera on and you know in a sense reward them for putting putting a good class together and I mean, I had one teacher last year that every every morning I, she was my first period class, which made it double tough. But um, she would at the beginning of class sit there for sometimes ten minutes until every kid had their camera on, mm-hmm. and that just made me more resistant to turning my camera on because then I had to sit through her frankly boring class and listen to her lecture for forty five minutes about you know, and it's eight a.m. and I'm. At home, I mean, I, like, when a teacher was being a stickler about their camera, that's when I started to not want to turn it on. And I think, you know, when a teacher was engaging me, I, I felt like I wanted to engage them. So I think it really counted, um, like, what the teacher, how the teacher was teaching, whether or not I was going to, you know, give them that engagement. I
0: agree. I was the same way. I think we had the same teacher. Actually, I don't know if it was the same teacher, but. Should we say your name? No. no. <laughs> um but it was difficult when people would sit there and take away from the lesson waiting not even for cameras just waiting for a response from someone who you knew wasn't in the room or taking away from class waiting for just anything of that nature someone who you knew was not going to give an answer or not going to turn their camera on they would wait for upwards of five minutes taking away from class time where if you're taking an A B class that is time that I'm going to start doing work for another class at that point. I'm going to start going on my phone. If I'm at home, I've you've lost my attention. The class is gone at that point. I'm not paying attention anymore, especially in that class.
4: Did you guys find, because I'm not a technologically savvy person, did you feel that teachers use technology well to engage you?
1: Not particularly. Yeah, I mean... I don't think I can blame that on the teacher because, Mm -hmm. you know, the situation was as new to you guys as it was to us. And I do think um, some teachers, you know, definitely the younger ones did like, you know, doing things like cahoots and um, was it near pods and puzzles, stuff like that was definitely, um, you know, interactive lessons was definitely engaging, but there's only so much you can again do through screen that I think, it wasn't an ideal situation for everyone. It gave me a new respect for the kids. Yeah, yeah
4: I, I, I've, I've, I've put it on my to-do list to learn all three of those, and for two years now I've not done any yeah, of it.
0: I know, you get to work, it uh, It was very difficult, and because we get old, because you've been doing them since about sixth grade. Um, but I do really appreciate the effort that you could tell some teachers you're putting in a lot more than others to at least try to familiarize themselves. Like you said, you've been at least trying to get familiar with some different topics um, and some different platforms that you might not have been introduced to before the pandemic. And you could tell which teachers were trying and which teachers were just cutting and pasting their slides, putting them in a PowerPoint and sharing their screen. And that was their entire lesson. And you cannot Like you cannot involve an entire class by doing that um, for forty five minutes. You will not get their attention. It's just not going to work when you're lecturing for forty five minutes with shared powerpoints and no cameras. It's not going to work. Go the next. Is that your question or my question? Oh, it's my question. Yes. Okay. Um, Next question is a little bit of a turn but how did you take care of yourself throughout the pandemic as a teacher and even now?
4: So for me, this one's an easy one. Um, the unexpected joy of pandemic was a ton more time with the most important person in my life, my wife. Um, I, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm an, a workaholic and it's something that uh, I've been working on. But in that spring session, when we were at school at home, every day at four o'clock, we took a walk together uh, typically, I don't get home until six fifteen or six thirty. Um, this year, I've made it five thirty. But then, during the rest of the, the first formal part of twenty twenty-one year, um, we had lunch every day—a big salad—and um, we would do uh, a crossword puzzle together. And we're continuing that. At um, you know, I leave school now at five thirty, and we do it at five thirty as we sit down um, to have our meal together. So, um, I think wh- I went on sabbatical after the first semester and it was really frightening because for, uh, 18 months, you know, we've been together for 33 years and 18 months, we haven't had that connection together. And I thought this is going to suck. Uh, <laughs> so, um,
3: it's, we've been intentional about trying to, to keep some of that alive. I mean, I spend as much time away from any technology as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have two little kids uh, and a wife that will at least humor me and go on hikes and go fishing and do all those sorts of things. <laughs> so we just spend time away. It's it's funny how well my kids get along when there's nothing that like sort of gets in between them. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when you're even if you're not going on like the, the, the world's toughest hike, you're not going up and, you know, up the side of a mountain. I mean, there is a teamwork aspect, you know, making sure you can all cross over a stream and th- those sorts of things. I feel like that was great for them to get away. There was no, you know, when's the next class? When am I, you know, and, you know, for Element, they, they were last year, they were in um, second and third grade. So I think it was as much for them as it was for me, but just to be outside away from technology, not worrying about, okay, I have six more minutes before I have this next class yeah. um, to just have a completely unstructured days. I mean, we went to Ohio pile I don't know, 30 times just to go down there and hike and, you know, fall in the river and, yeah. and, and those sorts of things. I think that was the biggest thing was just to completely disconnect from all the technology.
4: Yeah. That is- yeah. One actually the, you're, you're right. And yet there's one area of technology that I did two, two things I did also one. I kick caffeine. Generally, I'll have a little coffee here and there, but <laughs> I still have decaf coffee uh, because you know it's just a social uh-huh. moment there. But uh, I, in the summer after we shut down, I started to use headspace and have oh, really? gone 458 days straight with my, oh, I get wow. up at, yeah. And um, so on my phone, I'm using that, but for, an effort to have sixteen to twenty minutes a day to meditate in the morning as uh just before I stretch and so and then exercise. So I think it's all important there. You know, I'm I think yeah. you two have pointed out that I'm getting old at some oh, point. You no. pointed that out in <laughs> class. <laughs> they should have if you yeah, did yeah, <laughs> right, right. No, I would never thanks Val. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Val. Um, so kind of building on
1: what we were just talking about, like of what aspects you kind of of that self care that you've kept going, like your meditation, your heights. Um, is there anything that you did differently in the teaching sphere of things that you're, you know, kind of carrying into this year as we return to what a normal classroom looked like pre-pandemic?
3: I am almost completely paperless. Hmm. Right, I've always joked that, like, trees aren't infinite. And <laughs> as such, we shouldn't be handing anything out that we can't that, – that doesn't allow the, some interaction. So I still – I give out – um, structured notes that people can follow along with and jot things down. Cause I think uh, some people are just still much more comfortable taking notes on a, a, like a paper format. That's it. The labs are online. Um, I've actually found when one, one of the reasons that I've done this as well is I always give feed, you know, little bits of feedback on stuff. Last year I got the most responses to feedback that I've ever gotten. I mean, by, by far, um and i think it's just there's a there's a a comment on this assignment a message gets sent to the student um and i think they're just more willing to look at that if they can just flip through it on their phone yeah. than they would be to read the piece of paper i mean a lot of the time you look at the grade at the top of the paper you put it away yeah or a second room, or you put it in, <laughs> exactly exactly i
4: actually uh am continuing something but it was uh, the idea of uh less is more i reduced Workload in both classes a lot reduced the scope of what I cover. So we're being reduced. Oh yeah, yes you are. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, so I think that that's been one of the key ones I've done that I'd say that uh, will continue. Yeah.
0: yeah, and do you find both of those things effective? As you, like, I know it's still early in the year, but as you're going, do you see a change at all?
4: I certainly, yeah, I, I, in this way, not, I, I don't, I never had busy work in, in, in anything, but um, it's also okay to know that um, kids are going to get a, a fine product and have a little less. I mean, just when I am saying that you haven't had homework that much mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what I'm saying. I think
1: from the student side of that, um, I'm definitely more engaged in classes that I'm not doing the busy work outside of school for. I mean, for one, I kind of lose respect for a teacher when I have to go home and, you know, write down a vocabulary definition for 30 words that I look up in the textbook. And, I mean, also when I'm not getting burnt out on a class outside of school, I'm more willing to engage with the content inside the classroom.
0: Mm -hmm. You're giving 100% inside the classroom. It's easy to go home and give zero. Yeah. Yeah. Than
4: split it. There's one other thing that I did that I uh in in US that I continue to do in US and that is uh there's a I, I read a number of newspapers and one of them is the Washington Post electronically New York Times still in paper because I got to have that tactile sense at some point you can give it to me we'll compost okay. it all right <laughs> i recycle it yeah um but uh the washington post has a weekly column called the optimist and so on fridays i spend the last 10 minutes telling kids uh, stories whether it's from that or not about the optimist and i've had many kids say that you know like on a friday that we might not be able to do that they're like wait we don't get the stories of you know possibility and joy and that there's hope in the world because i did it because of the situation we were in last year yeah. and then i thought this is working really nicely. And um, it's all just, you know, it's funny because I think of myself, um, I was hired as a content specialist, but I think of myself successful because of relationships I've built with kids. And so what I'm doing is g- reducing the content to continue building uh, those relationships with kids. So. I like
0: that a lot. Um, next question. Um, How did you make an effort to understand what your students were experiencing last year? That's a hard one, I
3: know. I think the the easiest way to do it was to just come out and be honest and say, like, I can't imagine, like, I didn't go through, and I think it was interesting two springs ago when students were saying, like, well, what was this the last, what was this like the last time it happened? I'm like, I mean, like, 1918? (laughs) Um, so I think just me coming out and saying, I don't know how hard this is for you. You have to let me know. And like, just, yeah. just being honest and saying this is, you know, I just assumed much tougher for someone who didn't have life experience to draw on for any of this. Um, and just, you know, then kids were much more willing to just say like, well, this is really tough and this is really tough and this is really tough. And I've two little kids and I would just say like what do you miss about like what did you miss that you did last year that you didn't do this year just to get as much of a perspective on it as I could
0: I know Mr. Manette said one thing that made me so sad it was when his it was I think his daughter or his son's birthday and they sang on zoom and it was like a 30 second song and his son or his daughter turned around and he was like that's it and just went back to class and I, I, I mean, for an elementary school student, that's just, it's like heartbreaking. I, How do you go through that as like a, I don't know, six to 10 year old? I mean, experiencing that from like three years prior to just going on Zoom, like, cause that, they're still learning. They have no idea what that means. And just, that just made me sad. It was awful to like hear that story and just think about that, just like feeling of not being content after getting a
4: little song for your birthday Yeah. you know one thing that i would do and and i've noticed it especially with my juniors they i use just a a google form for and they like to see the the aggregate responses and then they don't feel like they have to say this so they see out of the Mm 100 kids this many kids said this so i did that with in that school at home we just addressed COVID and there's surveys about that. i archived it with the historical society because in some years that'll be used and kids could give me their name or they could not. And so, you know, you have multiple choice things, but then also free response and um, but you would get then the aggregate view at least. And then kids could tell you things. And I think, you know, those things, voluntary meet and greets, um, trying to just hear what's going on.
1: Yeah. So, kind of on the other side of that, if what is something, or you know, what is what do you wish your students would have understood about? You know, obviously, you guys had to pages just as much as us. What do you wish your students would have understood about your experience in the last, I guess, what eighteen months now? I don't.
4: I, I I looked at that question this afternoon, and, and I'm not sure they need to. I don't know if there's anything that it it was, it was a tough time finding something. Um, I think each of us responded very differently, but during that two weeks where everything shut down, um, there's no doubt that throughout from that point until the end of the first semester last year, I've never worked harder. Um, I think they got that. But during those two weeks, I was just trying to learn any, I learned Zoom pretty quickly. And then they told us we couldn't use Zoom. <laughs> that was a bummer. But, um, uh, but I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I need them to. I was struggling to really come up with something that would be profound. And I don't have anything on that one. Yeah.
3: I think the biggest, and I think that students under, started to understand as we went through that we didn't have any more information than anyone else did. Because mm-hmm. I had a lot of, they're like, yeah. so when are we going back? And I'm like, you will get an email when I get an email. Uh, And I think that that sort of, there was sort of a camaraderie and like, well, I'm going to teach you from my basement or my classroom if you're there, if you're not there. So however that looks, that's what we're going to do day to day. And and I I sort of took it that way. But I think that, you know, there was sort of like, well, next week I'll see you. I'm not sure what the format's going to be. I'm not sure where you're going to be. I'm not sure where I'm going to be but there'll be class. Yeah.
4: I think they also got it. I think now that we're thinking about this, that my basement became a classroom quite literally. Mm-hmm. I brought home my podium. It's a big, heavy thing. Um, we found a beautiful, you, you put up a four foot by six foot. Um, it was a whiteboard on my wall there. You can put it up and write it at that point. I brought home to the sides of that were some of the quotes on the backboard there. So kids always saw that. Uh, then when I was sitting at my desk, John Lewis behind me, Mary Tinker behind me and my sort of radical thoughts above there. Um, I had to give it as much for myself to be feeling that I was in something close to what we normally do rather than just in a chair. That makes
1: sense. So our, uh, you know, this hasn't been the most optimistic conversation, but our last question for you is, um, And what moments do you feel that you or one of your students or one of your classes really shine despite the circumstances?
4: I still believe, and I said this to Dr. Davis and others, that 5% of kids did better um, remotely. And I think we have to figure a way how to to address that. Mm -hmm. In that first school at home, I had kids on the spectrum that would never feel comfortable with other kids in the room. And what they wrote was out of this world profound and just thank you for showing me what you have. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, I have one student this year who on the info sheet that they fill out said the last point, how are you feeling about this year? I want to be home. And then this person came to the meet and greet and said that this person is just, they are very more, much more comfortable at home. Um, the kids involved in activities, but it was very clear. Um, Squirrel video. I'll remember that forever. And this was an awesome video. You gotta watch it. It's a guy in his backyard, a little fenced in backyard, and he sets up this whole obstacle course for the squirrels. Oh, is it more
1: proper? Yes. I love
4: that video. That is awesome. <laughs> I kept showing it to everybody. So things came, you know, wonderful things that kids did to um make it human and to
3: um just make my ear. I think, yeah, in, in considering this question, I remember, I think it was, like, into April that I realized no one had given up, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't think it was any, I mean, that specific moment, but it didn't, it wasn't, I don't remember that being, you know, there was no, like, impetus for me saying, so, oh, my God, this was amazing, um, but I just thanked all the kids, and they're like, well, what else would we do, and I'm like, but you, I don't know if they were just, like, used to the grind of it, we could be remote tomorrow. We might not be remote tomorrow. And I mean, there I had per, you know performances in class that were incredible. I mean, we still did all the work that we would normally do in honors bio. We wrote full lab reports and full essays. And you know, I said, like, you know, th- this is, is amazing that you just continue to come to school and do the work. And it, the, the response was like, well, what else would we do? And I'm like, I don't know, but you're not doing the other thing. You're yeah. going to school and doing the work. Um, and I think that was just tremendous. I I got emails after um, after the year. And I mean, last year was not the most exciting uh, bio class I've ever taught in my life. Um, but just like, you know, thank you for like saying hi to me each day. And thank you for th- I'm like, you don't have any idea. Like they saved us. Yeah. Me in particular, just by coming to class and engaging and doing all that they could when I knew it was, you know, the the world was what it was last year. Um, And I think that for me, it wasn't one thing, but it was just the culmination of all the work that people put in and continued to put in. That I was just like, you're just still here. Yeah, we are. That was amazing to me. And if
4: I, one last thing, the, um, uh, obviously the kids that were seniors the last year experienced this and they're off to their, the next phase of life, but, uh, I've told dozens of people this, and it kind of hints at what Mike said about his, uh, sophomores in the first part of that, but I have uh, about 160 kids total, including my homeroom, and I have never experienced in 32 years, every six periods of teaching in one period of homeroom, when The bell rings. The I would say that over half of the students, as they exit, say thank you. Mm -hmm. I've always had like one or two kids say it, Mm -hmm. but and it's incredibly awkward. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like I told you about trees
3: again. So you're welcome.
4: But I don't know if it's just this these groups of well, it's freshman, junior, senior, or if just the sense of everybody's appreciative. And I keep saying I think it'll wear off, but. It really is something pretty cool, and uh, it has made it, I I told this to a handful of people, probably the best start to a school year of my 32 years, and there's been a lot of great years. So, you know, masks and all. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think it all feels like the other side of of this craziness. I think the most important thing to do is acknowledge that it was hard it was crazy hard for everyone i mean i don't think anyone would have asked for that to happen and for that disruption to for us were you know supposed to be the funnest and also the most like formative years of our lives to be totally flip upside down um but i think there were some really cool you know moments of humanity just you know showing up people showing up for each other um you know even outside of school you know you'd see the yeah. videos of You know, in cities like New York, where at seven o'clock shift changed, people would stand on their balconies and clap for the healthcare workers. I think it was, that's, those were the moments that kept me going.
0: And on Mr. Donato's note, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I think that's all we have for you. But seriously, thank you. Our first guest, that was very, very fun. And we really appreciate you guys coming. It was a great discussion.
4: Well, thank you. It's an honor. You're very welcome. Yeah.
2: The views and opinions expressed in the Teens Tap-In podcast represent the opinions of the hosts and their guests. The views and opinions expressed by Outreach Teen and Family Services employees, donors, and volunteers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of Outreach Teen and Family Services or the show's sponsors. The content here should not be taken as counseling advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is unique please consult your mental health provider or physician for any mental health counseling or other medical questions. The podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including, but not limited to, establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast. If you find any error in any of the content of the podcast, please contact us at podcasts at outreachteen.org. Outreach Teen and Family Services, its sponsors, donors, and partners expressly disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages whatsoever arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast. Please go to www.outreachteen.org to see the complete notice and disclaimer for the podcast episodes.